This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew, and with me, as always, is my giant rabbit friend. You know, I was wondering if he would show up. Here he is. Does he have anything to say? No, he doesn't. He he usually just sits in the background and just kind of gives me a thumbs up when I'm saying something cool or smart or funny. Great. What's his name? Charleston. So nice to have you here, Charleston. You just let me know how I'm doing by telling Andrew how I'm doing, and he'll report back to me. Um, welcome to all you Charleston chews out there. Uh, this is a book podcast where we talk about books. Andrew's friend Charleston listens, and you get to listen as well. One of mm-hmm. us uh, usually has never read the book or document before i say document because this week i read a play and i picked the noun document instead of play <laughs> i guess document is a word you could use as i read the play harvey by mary chase which coincidentally is about a man who sees a six foot three and one half inch tall rabbit who may or may not be there okay so sort of like Charleston. That's ironic. Sort of like actually. Charleston. It's funny actually how the how this is dovetailing with my real life. Yeah, and it's funny because this was a Patreon recommendation by Emilio. Thank you, Emilio. And Emilio doesn't even know this is probably the first time Emilio's ever heard about Charleston. You've been you've been like really respectful of Charleston's privacy. It's actually pretty remarkable that he let you talk about him today. Um, I Emilio, mean, he, he was like, "Oh, this play is this play is just like our thing. You should tell the people." That's so, so that they so that they know that you've got like a personal stake in this. That's so generous. Representation is important. Emilio said, "Do you still read plays? If so, I'd like to recommend Harvey by Mary Chase. I saw an all female production of the play like a decade ago, and it spoke to me. I'd love to hear y'all's opinions of it." Huh? Yeah. Do you have so you're the you're a dramaturg. You're a dramatist. You're a theater boy do you, do you have pre-existing opinions on harvey I the play do. by mary chase yes i have seen this play once before here in the city of philadelphia as probably two or three years ago now um a number of actors i know were in it um i found their performances charming and winsome um Ooh, winsome the people i did not winsome, know you lose some <laughs> The people I did not know in the play, I'm sure they did fine. Um, but yeah, I recall it as a bit of a period piece. It was at a theater uh, that produces a lot of work for kind of your your aging, um, somewhat stereotypical theater-going audiences, and the play was a big hit. 
um, because they probably remembered James Jimmy Stewart from the film, um, which I believe was released in 1950. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. And it's, as I recall, it's a comedy with some heart. And it, I was surprised a little bit about its portrayal of psychiatry and uh, amiable alcoholism. Yeah, so ways in which it is a period piece. One, amiable, uh, like, uh, what's the what's the word I'm looking for? Like high functioning alcoholism. Yeah, high functioning is alcoholism. Fine. Yeah. Uh, the field of psychology and psychiatry are is just in a very interesting place. Sure, where people just get thrown in buildings where people can do stuff to them in the name of curing them. Yep. Uh huh. And uh, also, there is a cab that costs two dollars and seventy five cents. Which, in any cab I've ever gotten in, that's just been like the price for sitting down in the cab and closing the doors. There's a, yeah, there's a machine that's like, well, you will pay us at least that plus more, even if this cab never moves. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I remember it being kind of funny, but like definitely a little dusty um, and being kind of at the time, even watching it, as I'm sure we'll talk about in this show, being like, wow, why was this such a big hit? And I don't mean that as an insult. I just mean like, what about this spoke to a bunch of people at that time when right now it kind of feels like a quaint entertainment? Um, I mean, a lot of that is just like, is 1945. People were easier to impress. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe that's it. Um, well, we'll talk about that. We should cover Mary Chase real quick. Um, and I don't say that like, well, we're just going to talk about her quickly and then move on. But um, this is like the thing that she is known for. Mm-hmm. Um she was born yeah, in 19- so lead, Could you just lead me on a Mary Chase about Mary Chase real quick? Yeah, I can do that. I Thank can do you. that for you. Yeah. I appreciate uh, that. Charleston born- says good job to both of us. I'm glad that he included me in that good job because I know that it was mostly for you. Uh, born He's very in supportive. <laughs> 1906, died in 1981. Uh, born and raised in Colorado, uh, where she spent most of her life uh, in Denver. She was a journalist, a playwright, a children's novelist, studied at UC Boulder, U Denver, um, wrote for the Denver Times and the Rocky Mountain News before leaving to write plays, freelance reports, work, do PR for the Denver Teamsters Union, um, have three kids, I think, with her husband, who is also a reporter and a union leader in the News Guild. Um, her son's names were Michael, Colin, and Barry Jerome, <laughs> who they called Jerry. Uh, okay. I had, listen, I have four names and three kids. <laughs> what do I do with this? Just a real big fan of Barry Jerome. Um, <laughs> she had a number of plays. She had a few plays open before Harvey. Um, Me Third in 1936, Shy House in 1938. Uh, I think this. I think Shy House had became a movie. Thirty. The Me Third was published as part of the Works Progress Work. What's that thing called? The WPA Works Progress Administration, which we also talked about last week. Yes. Um, theater. Just getting, talking. Just talking a lot about government funding of the arts for no reason. No reason at all. Um, and this one took her a few years to come up with. Uh, I think she had. 
Uh, her earlier plays had been like fine, but maybe not smash hits, and she wasn't sure what she's going to work on next. Um, and this one opened in 1944. She spoke in an interview with the CBC, and we were talking before we started recording, Andrew, about, like, I saw quotes from this particular interview in multiple articles, um, which just means that it's, like, become part of the scholarly canon on her. Mm -hmm. Do you want to say that smart thing you said? No, I was just... Now it's not. Now it's going to sound rehearsed. You're not going to embarrass Charleston. You can just say the thing you said. I want to give you credit for being smart. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I just there are other celebrities and and personalities uh, who give who have who gave like one or two big interviews that get quoted all the time because they just didn't interview a lot. And I think that's cool because you get a you know, you have a record that you can go to to get their thoughts on different things. But uh, it's just a moment in time. And I don't like how it. That, like often people speak authoritatively about like here's how so and so thought about this thing or like here's their relationship to their work but it's really just like you had one interview like 20 years before they died and you and they never just followed up after that i don't know i think it's kind of sad a little bit yeah it kind of flattens their history a little bit or or their own perception of their history which is really what you're talking about yeah um, i'm just thinking about like press averse people like your yeah. salingers and and other folks sure 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 yeah um she said in this interview i found this uh with an irish america.com article from 2016 uh all about mary chase um that i she says i came to write harvey after having a bad flop on broadway in the 30s i decided at that point that theater was probably not for me and i settled down to raise my boys Um, And she says, one day in the early years of World War II, something happened which changed my life. Across the street from our house was an apartment house. As I was leaving every morning at 8.15, a woman would emerge from the door of the apartment house and go in the opposite direction to go to work. I didn't know her, but I heard she was a widow with a son who was a bombardier in the Pacific. One day I heard that her son was lost. And she goes on to say that this happened a lot to people. Um, And she was thinking... uh, could I ever think of anything to make that woman laugh again? Like she could just kind of tell as that woman moved through the world that she was clearly obviously having a hard time. Um, I knew she wouldn't laugh at a comedy about sex or money or politics. I kept looking for ideas and rejecting them. Then one morning I woke at five o'clock and saw a psychiatrist walking across our bedroom floor, followed by an enormous white rabbit. And I knew I had it. I don't think she literally saw that, but (laughs) the play was born from there. Mm-hmm. Um, it took and, her like two years to write. Like yeah. she had a harder time with this than some of her other stuff. Yes, um, and it was picked up. Went to Broadway. Uh, Antoinette Perry of the Tonys, I think, uh, directed it. That's at least in one interview it said that. Um, starred Frank Fay as our as our lead character Elwood, um, and it won the Pulitzer. She was the fourth woman to win the Pulitzer for drama. It beat The Glass Menagerie. Which is pretty impressive. Yeah, chew on that glass, menagerie. Chew on that glass, you menagerie of losers. Broke that Uh, glass ceiling. No, well. (laughs) (laughs) I can see in the back that Charles is just giving you a thumbs down right now. He's he's grinning, but he's giving you a thumbs down. Yeah, I know what I did. Um, (laughs) She's also the only Coloradan to win the drama prize, which is neat. Uh, and it was made. Step in, it up, Colorado. It was uh, made into a film in 1950, starring, as I said, Jimmy Stewart, as well as Josephine Hull, who I believe was in the original production. 
Um, yeah, and Jimmy Stewart played Elwood at some point in the play's five-year run. Like, he, he didn't originate the role, but... And there was a revival in 1970 that he was also in as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, it was apparently the the rights, the rights for its film were purchased for like a million dollars, which was really, I think, maybe a record at the time. Um, Hull won an Oscar for her performance. Uh, what I pulled up the old New York Times, and I had to do the thing where it's like a document that you, it's like a, you can't. Oh, you have to like zoom in on it? And yeah. Then- um, yeah. What does it say? Brock Pemberton, who hither he was the producer, uh, who hitherto has held sternly apart from plays about rabbits, is the producer, and Frank <laughs> Fay and Josephine Hall are providing the last word in acting. Harvey, in or out of quotation, is one of the treats of the fall theater. This guy has always said he would never, never do a play about rabbits. Never, <laughs> ever do it. Just did not think it was a suitable topic for the theater. He would never do it. And now here he is with this rabbit play. <laughs> with this rabbit play. So she said uh, in a couple of different interviews, and it's repeated in like her obituary, obituary and other places, that the idea for this rabbit comes from the Irish folktales of the puka. Yes. Yeah. He's um, referred, Harvey is referred to as a puka a couple of times in yeah. the play. She was the daughter of Irish immigrants. Um, she says, I was raised on Irish folktales told to me by my uncles. I had four bachelor uncles. That's a very specific detail. I think that always had an impact on my work. Harvey the Puka and the Changeling in Mrs. McThing, another play. I have to say I'm very grateful for that heritage. Um, I did some research on the Puka, Andrew. It's a Celtic fairy creature, often a shapeshifter. Um, it may be where the name Puck from Midsummer Night's Dream comes from. It regularly takes the form of a horse and gallops around and messes with crops and fences and then will occasionally <laughs> it will occasionally pick up a drunk person and carry them around all night, which is an, an explanation for how you might you know wake up in a wake field. Wake up and not know how you got there or where your pants the went. The yes. only person in history to ride a puka was and successfully was the former High King of Ireland, Brian Baruma Maxatenig. Uh, from the 10th century CE, he had a special bridle made of puka hairs that he wore as he rode the puka, or that he used to ride the puka and wear it out. And he made the puka make two promises: to no longer torment Christians, <laughs> and to never attack an Irishman unless he was drunk. Uh, what so- is the sourcing like? For this thing that you just said, to let me. <laughs> me find. It was some. Uh, I think it was. Oh, uh, an IrishCentral.com article called "Tales of Puka." Hmm. Um, by Leonie O'Hara. So it's, it's a little thin to me. Is all. Well, you could also sourcing. go to yourirish.com and read about the puka, uh, where I think some of this is also recounted. Um. I'm just saying it's out there. Pukas are out no, there. No, no, that's fine. You're just, you're just, you're just saying. Yes. Um, there were multiple TV you're adaptations. The Overton window on Puka. We lost uh, Mary Chase. She suffered a heart attack while she was working on the 1980 or 81 musical adaptation called listen, Say man. Hello to Harvey. Listen, man, let's talk about Say Hello to Harvey because oh, I went no. a little deep on Say Hello to Harvey. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Because in it, now I'm going to be editorializing a lot for the next couple of minutes. In 
say hello to Harvey, I recognize a creator. So Mary Chase, like she did some things before Harvey. She did some things after Harvey. She found some modest success, but like Harvey is the thing. Harvey's the thing. Yeah. Harvey is the first line in her obituary to like borrow and mangle a Lin-Manuel Mirandaism. (laughs) Okay. Um, (laughs) So I can see it in say hello to Harvey, an artist who has like she has tried other stuff. She did a bunch of adaptations of of Harvey already. Like there was a revival already. This is a she just can't leave Harvey in the rear view. I think that's I think that's that's when you start at age seventy five or whatever. You start helping with a musical version of your play. I think is when you just when you just accept when you like drowning. You just kind of accept and let it roll over you. Someone has and made surrender se- to it. Someone has made several phone calls to Mary Chase going, hey, we're going to make this musical. We do want you involved. And she was mm-hmm. probably like, yeah, whatever. So like, so there's that. And then also she did die while she was working on this. So I like, I don't know that it killed her. Probably but- not. Say hello to Harvey might have killed Mary Chase. That sucks. So I found there's a, a very good medium post from Ron Fassler from 2017 just talking about uh say hello to Harvey in a piece that like it starts don't musicalize works that don't need music wrote Kendall Ken Mandelbaum in his wonderful 1991 book Not Since Carrie 40 Years of Broadway Musical Flops. Uh, dissecting what went wrong with dozens of Broadway shows, some of which closed out of town. This particular section of the book includes a number of musicals that had no business being written in the first place, particularly when you take the source material into consideration. Gone with the Wind. Uh, Harold Rome, the gifted composer slash lyricist of Fanny and I uh, can get it for you wholesale, was responsible for the score, but even expensive runs in three different countries and changing the title along the way to Scarlet couldn't get the show to the promised land of Broadway. <laughs> Yow. Um, and so this guy, uh, Leslie Bercuss, wrote the music to Say Hello to Harvey. Um, Fassler says that Bercuss is responsible for, quote, the worst song ever written for a musical, which is called Paris Makes Me Horny, <laughs> which is from the 1995 Broadway musical adaptation of the film Victor Victoria. Sure. Uh, but as far as I can tell, Say Hello to Harvey is just kind of a straightforward musical version of the show. Okay. And so I've pasted into our Slack just the closing number Okay. from Say Hello to Harvey. And I think I might like try and drop a little bit in. But if you Should just I just like, listen, listen to the beginning of it? Uh, yeah, just listen to like the first like 30 or 45 seconds. And we'll okay. Just... There's a woman talking about a cab driver. Say hello to Harvey. Everyone loves Harvey. Cause Harvey's as lovely as can be. Harvey is as lovely as can be. Sit and talk with Harvey. Take a walk with Harvey. You'll see things you never (laughs) thought you'd see. What is he going to show me? He can change the future. He can change the future anyway to suit you? Simply go to Harvey. 
It's a very like traditional. I'm amazed that this song was written in 1980. Yeah, that's that is something that a Fassler says is like it's it's written in this very like bouncy musically, like Sondheim had happened like singing in the rainy old school musical style without any sort of like irreverence to it or something it is like and very also without like it's not especially distinctive either it's just no. it would kind of blend into that sort of out of date milieu of musicals that all sound like that mm. but i just say hello to harvey yeah, it's very nice yeah it's, it's got a, but it also is like making him sound like some sort of wizard like he's gonna come in and he kind of change is, the world though, he kind of is a wizard Okay, should we? Okay, real quick, I will refer to listen to say hello to Harvey. (laughs) I will. You should go read some more about. I will refer to this review later after we talk a little bit about the play. Um, There was a 2012 revival at Studio 54, um, starring Mr. Bazinga. What's his name? Um, Oh, Jim Parsons. Jim Parsons. Yes, (laughs) Mr. Bazinga to his friend. Yes. Um, There have been several attempts to make another film, but really nobody wants to touch what Jimmy Stewart did. And uh, by all accounts, Jim Parsons did a very lovely job in a fine production. Um, So we'll talk about that because I think it gets to some of the the review that I read gets to some of the like how to encounter this play 50 or 60 years later. Um, but let's talk about what the play is. We've already listened to part of a musical adaptation of it and talked about the invisible rabbit. I want to know, I want a reminder actually of what is going on in this story. So our play opens, this is a three act play and uh, our play opens with, uh, two women, uh, Vita and Myrtle. So Vita is the, uh, is Myrtle's mom. And they're talking about uh, Vita's brother, who's El- Elwood P. Dowd is his name. Elwood P. Dowd, okay. And they are, they're kind of a high society-ish sort of family, but Uncle Elwood has been embarrassing them recently because every time he is in like mixed company, he starts talking about this thing named Harvey. <laughs> okay. A, a thing named Harvey that nobody can see. Like Elwood P. Dowd will walk into a room and he'll say, he, he will talk to Harvey. He will pause and listen thoughtfully when Harvey is talking. Um, he he kind of does the thing that TV characters do when they're talking on the phone and you can't hear the other end of the conversation where they repeat everything that the person on the other end is saying <laughs> to provide exposition. <laughs> oh, 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 so you're running late. Oh, okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, right. But yeah, he's talking to he's talking to this guy Harvey and they are like this this sucks. I hate Harvey and I don't I wish he would stop doing this to us. Like we can't he's, move through polite society. We can't move through polite society and they're also kind of thinking about selling his house. Oh wow. Elwood's house. Um and so to achieve these ends to like get him out of their hair and also to have like power of whatever like yeah yeah, transferred to them so they can sell this house um they go to have elwood committed at a at a what's the name of the thing the sanitarium sanitarium okay uh, so Vita goes in and she there there are two doctors. There's one doctor whose like name is on the practice, but he's much too important to actually meet patients anymore. <laughs> sure. And then there's this other guy, Sanderson, 
who is the one who actually kind of handles the day-to-day stuff. And Vita goes to Sanderson and explains what's going on. Like Elwood goes out, he does drink a lot every night. He goes out and he drinks a lot and there's the, and he keeps talking about this six foot tall rabbit named Harvey. And he's just, it's all the time. And I swear you can't tell anybody that I said this, but I swear I could see Harvey every once in a while. Whoa. Like, it's so convincing that maybe that like, wow, you could even see him. Yeah. And so Sanderson as a male sort of doctor kind of guy. Is he the, he's the junior the 40s, doctor. Yeah. The junior doctor. He is like, well, this is the oldest trick in the book. Obviously, the man Elwood has come to bring his crazy sister into my sanitarium. And oh my God. she she is trying to talk her way out of it by pinning it on her brother. So what we really need to do is we need to commit Vita because she's the one who can see this rabbit. This and is we need hilarious. To have her under yeah, this is super funny. I'm just busting a gut over here <laughs> about how you wouldn't listen to this woman and how you would take her up to a room and you would like forcibly remove all her clothes and throw her in some weird brain bathtub. Oh my god. And so Elwood comes in and through uh, multiple close misses does not actually mention Harvey to any of the people who work at the sanitarium. Like he keeps going to introduce them to somebody and they keep interrupting him because they're so busy and his sister's condition is so serious. Oh my God. That's very okay. That's that's a clever use of dramatic irony of like we the audience know that Harvey quote unquote exists no offense to charleston um just in the world of the play harvey quote unquote exists in the world of the play yes so so this uh i don't know how frequently when you're reading a play that you get really detailed like stage direction and the stuff every character is supposed to be doing like i feel like some plays leave that more up to the director and the performer's discretion but this one gets really specific about what everybody's supposed to be that's a, doing at all times. I have not. It's so. It's a good question. Not knowing, I presume you found you were reading a like an e edition of some kind. Yes. No, I've got this. I've got it's oh. that you know the kind oh, of playbook got, that's got the lines on it. Yeah, you've got the dramatist. <laughs> but no, like actual cover art. <laughs> the dramatist play service editions will sometimes have stage directions in them, like from a particular production that are not I. I have found some of them to have stage directions that are not written by the author. Okay, so they're arguably editorializing a little bit or it, just like preserving how it would have been performed at the yeah, time. Yeah, but it, it is also very possible, given the time period in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, like very specific stage directions were also like a very big thing. Like O'Neill and Williams wrote a lot of them. Um, so I would not be surprised that some of them would be very specific by chase also yeah let me just let me just tell you how specific this is uh see uh miss kelly is a very pretty young woman of about 24 that sounds exactly, like exactly no you would it, you would put that in a play given the time exactly period, I think. 24 years old yeah. not just a young woman but she is 24 and multiple times as characters come on it's like oh yeah this guy's like 28 i guess <laughs> <laughs> no that do, that seems normal to me as, as a reader of plays and certainly plays of that era, it's more like if you see something that's like crosses stage left, like okay. there, there's a lot of that too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
I can't as without yeah, like at at, um, at rise rise of curtain. Uh, yep. Kelly is on the phone. Wilson is helping Sanderson carry boxes of books out of his office up L and onto table C. So like talking about what's stage left, what's center stage, like that kind of stuff. Some of some of that nomenclature could be from DPS or from um, not damage per second. Dramatis play service. Um, <laughs> Too much tense. <laughs> um, but that could also be uh, like put in at some point by a, an, an addition. It's not necessarily the like published. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I didn't know that. It, it changes with the publisher and what. what I, you know what else I learned from this, this book is I did not know that props was short for properties. Really? Yeah. Like on the, on the yeah. last page here, it says properties with a list of things that are props yeah that's like, a these classic, aren't properties these are props yeah that's a classic uh like printed script thing it'll usually include a version of that um even though it, that might change depending on the production and, and stuff like that so yeah but just like prop has become its own word in so many different yes. ways that i didn't even it didn't even occur to me to think of it as being short for something else um so there's a there's a term in theater or in dance there's a thing called a cyclorama which is a noted dance major which is a big screen that you will hang in the back of a stage that you can bounce light off of um usually it's like a big white screen that can take a lot of light and change color and stuff Um, it's like different from the bounce curtain it's it can do some bounce stuff but it is often it is usually sometimes like seen um and it is commonly referred to as the psych just a psych Psych, uh, <laughs> and I re- I recall um, that's one of the similar to properties. Cyclorama was on a like college, like end of year exam where you had to define a bunch of theater terms, and a bunch of people did not know what it was because it's one of those words that you never say the original version of. Because why would you? Who's mm-hmm. walking around talking about cycloramas unless you're <laughs> watching a bunch of bikes go by? Like, come on. <laughs> Anyway, so Elwood has come in. He has narrowly avoided talking about Harvey. So now the doctor thinks his sister's crazy. Cool. Yeah, and so it, I, the way I've described it, I, I, if I'm making uh, Vita sound malicious in any way, or if I'm making Elwood sound malicious in any way, like that, that is totally not what is sure, sure. going on with, with either of them. They are just kind of like Vita is worried i think myrtle is more concerned with like their place in society and like selling the house and stuff but vita yeah just kind of wants her brother out of their hair and elwood is just being like an affable like i said like a high functioning alcoholic who just wants to be everybody's friend and also he wants you to meet his invisible rabbit (laughs) apologies to charleston yeah sorry sure sure um yeah the thing that keeps coming up about this character uh, the 2012 review by Charles Isherwood, who kind of left the New York Times in disgrace. So I, I just want to say that we're, it was a contentious leave. Um, he does have a lot of reviews to his name, so he might come up whenever I'm looking him up. Um, he said of Mr. Bazinga, he possesses in abundance the crucial ability to project an ageless innocence without any visible effort. No small achievement for an actor in these knowing times in 2012. I don't know what that means. Um, but to me, that re- it reminded me of what people really like about uh, Will Ferrell and 
Will Ferrell, is that his name? In Elf? Um, yeah. Like that kind of like straightforward, literal, sim- like charming simplicity that is like, it is, it's very affable and it is very direct and it isn't very big either. Like it's not. Yeah. If you're talking about knowing times, I'm, I've got to imagine in 2012, that's a reference to sort of. Like that, that is a period that is, it's, it's still kind of continuing where like meta works of fiction that are also like being the kind of work of fiction that they are self-referencing. Like oh, that's a sure. big thing. Like if you want to think about a, co- a community, any given community episode, I guess. Oh yeah. To then, to actually just do the, like the straightforward thing. Yeah. Just like yeah, being able to point. assume of an audience. And I think particularly of like a, a privileged audience that is going to see broadway plays yes yeah. mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you would be able to assume a certain literacy like a narrative literacy of those people and then you can like knowing that you've all got common knowledge about like how stories work and how certain emotional beats work uh you can start to play off of those and, and do other things sure so sure i got I, I think that's probably what knowing means that makes sense if i could go like if, you, if, I'm, if i'm just thinking about me in 2012 <laughs> sure I didn't know anything about anything <laughs> compared to now. Gee whiz. Gee whiz. So what happens next? Sorry, we got on a huge old tangent. That's fine because this is a short play. So okay. <laughs> if That's we're going to fill an hour or even most of an hour, we're going to have to talk about some other stuff. Okay. Like say hello to Harvey. Uh, but there are some. Okay. So. Sanderson and then the the other like big name doctor who does become involved. His name's Chumley. I yes, good name, <laughs> Doctor Chumley. Doctor Chumley. Uh, they realize the their mistake and the depth of their mistake because Elwood definitely like he. They find this hat left in the in the office after Elwood leaves. That's just got like two big holes punched in it, like for big ears <laughs> that like big ears would come out of. What? Why would he have that? For Harvey. It's to Harvey's lend hat. it to his friend. Okay. It's Harvey's hat. And so they realize what they they did to Vita and like Elwood is kind of on the run a, a little bit and Vita is I don't know. She's she is let go and she is she goes back to the house and she's talking with some judge about like suing the sanitarium because of the bad, bad things that they did to I'm her. Sure. Um, and it is at, at, at some, there's some scene or act break. I think it's the, it's the end of act two. You get a, like, imagine you got the set on stage, lights are low so you can still see stuff, but like, it's not the full lighting that you get when characters are on stage Yeah, and they, they do some like trickery with like doors opening Oh, and you cool. can't see okay. who or what is opening them. So I you, think the I audience, yes. I, I think are meant to understand that harvey is a real force whatever whatever harvey is he does exist okay there is at least one mo i've not seen the whole 1950 film there is a gesture to this in the closing of that film where a gate opens that harvey would move through yeah, I can definitely see a, a movie from 1950, like, zooming in and ending on that with, like, a jaunty musical sting. Yeah, and then, like, <laughs> and then Jimmy Stewart, like, puts his arm over the shoulder of an invisible rabbit. Like, it's, you know, it's very, it's winsome. 
Oh, Jimmy. Um, oh, Jimmy. It's, you, ever, you ever realize that, like, <laughs> what whatever Nick Cage is doing is, like, he watched a bunch of Jimmy Stewart and then just went wild? Like, most we of what... 1,000 hours of Jimmy Stewart into an algorithm, and <laughs> yeah. this is what happened. <laughs> I was watching some of the, the clips from Harvey, and I was like... This is like if someone gave Nick Cage a lot of sedatives. He does he, sort of have a they they have a similar like way of getting increasingly worked up and disheveled over the course of a uh-huh. film uh-huh. <laughs> that, that I can kind of see what you're talking about. There's just something about his delivery that that it resonates between the two of them even though I think he's a Coppola. He's not related to Jimmy Stewart in any way, I don't think. Um Nick Cage, that is. Yeah, no, I, I believe he's a he's a Coppola. Um, okay, so what the, they find the hat, they realize that Elwood's actually the one with the issue. Yeah, and so they like everybody is back in the in the sanitarium. Like everybody meets up, and they're all talking about like the nature of Harvey. And this is this is the wildest thing. I didn't expect it to get this wild. <laughs> Chumley is like everybody leave. I got to talk to Elwood. About his issue solo, because El- the Chumley has started himself to believe in Harvey at this point. Heck yeah, okay. Um, so Elwood, Harvey says that he can look at your clock and stop it, and you can go away as long as you like with whomever you like and go as far as you like, and when you come back, not one minute will have ticked by. Chumley, you mean that he actually looks toward office? Elwood, Einstein has overcome time and space. Harvey has overcome not only time and space, but any object, any objections. <laughs> Chumley, and does he do this for you? Elwood, he's willing to at any time, but so far I've never been able to think of any place I'd rather be. I always have a wonderful time just where I am, whomever I'm with. I'm having a fine time right now with you, doctor. Um, and then there's this whole thing where Chumley will go to Akron to boink a stranger under a tree with beer for like two weeks and he would just like have like just one last hurrah <laughs> okay and that's uh, that's where he would have harvey take him i thought this was <laughs> they're still trying to maintain just enough of an air of mystery around mm-hmm. harvey like does he exist or does he not Elwood says he has incredible cosmic power <laughs> that he just happens to have never like needed to take advantage of and so you can neither prove nor disprove it this rules. <laughs> yeah. uh, but what happens is like elwood i think sees the distress of his family members and there's some injection that he can get just like some sedative sort of chemical thing just imagine like a big cartoon syringe full of green stuff that's yeah. gonna make you into a pod person the, the normal syringe yeah yes um, and as Elwood is going off to do this, like this cab driver comes in off the street and is like, Hey, nobody, it's like nobody paid me. And he talks about like driving Elwood into the, into the sanitarium and like what a great guy he is. And he's like, I have driven, I've driven tons of people back and forth from this sanitarium and going in, like we have a great time and they're good tippers. And then going back, they are horrible and they are grumpy and they don't tip and they're just bad. And it is now I do find this sort of 
problematic because it does suggest that living with some kind of mental illness rather than getting it treated, like if you get it treated, you're going to lose some essential part of what makes you you yes. and like what makes you human. Yes. So don't get it. So don't get it looked at. Don't yeah, worry about it. I have a distinct um, memory of yeah. what was that movie? The uh, Beautiful Mind. The the movie was that Russell Crowe in that movie? Jeez, man, I don't know. Um, the Beautiful Mind movie about the smart math man who thinks he's like solving <laughs> like Soviet crimes or something with his math. Uh, the game theory guy. And there's a sequence in uh, that, that guy movie. Guy from Twitter. Yes, <laughs> it's time for some game theory. Paul Bettany's yeah. here, um, and there's a, there's a period of that movie where he's supposed to be taking medication for I think his like paranoia or schizophrenia, and it's like impeding his ability to emotionally connect with his wife. It's impeding his ability to do math, but he's also like not hallucinating Ed Harris anymore or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and that is one of the earlier for me. I think in like I saw that movie probably when I was in high school. And like that left a mark of this like trope of um, getting treatment for something that is like ailing you is bad because it disconnects you from your real self. Right. And that is the the other um, work that came up in some of the reviews. There was a review of a pr- production in Chicago. Uh, that talks about Harvey boils down to whether a certain group of people, none of whom is as kind as Elwood himself, is willing to give the guy an injection that will knock that distinctiveness out of him, which is very much the plot of Cuckoo's Nest, even if Kesey gave that a 1960s edge that was not Chase's style. It does, it, it feels like it has a more wholesome version of what was going on in Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, like th- this version of Sanitarium is much, much closer to, to Cuckoo's Nest than to any modern form yeah. of like psychology or psychiatry. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I think that by Cuckoo's Nest, you're treating any like mistreatment of, of patients or mishandling of patients with more seriousness rather than doing it for laughs i guess that's the difference i would identify if i had to identify what the 1960s edge is versus the 40s yeah um and the uh, the issue review says that harvey prefigures the wave of countercultural movies in the 60s that would turn truth-telling kooks into an overused conceit but chase got there first and she doesn't push the philosophizing down our throats. And that that also seems to be what a lot of people remember fondly about Stewart's portrayal is the kind of like ease with which Elwood just like drops some homespun wisdom about being nice to people. Well, and you're you're supposed to think Elwood is just the greatest yeah, guy. Yeah. Like he he even if he is seeing a big invisible <laughs> rabbit, like whether that <laughs> rabbit exists or not, he is the nicest fella you ever met and he gets you on his side through mm. that. And okay. there's no better performer for doing that than Jimmy Stewart. I That's think. That's true. Yes, that is true. Um, so, so what happens with this cabbie? Cause George Bailey's kind of a jerk sometimes. George Bailey does. He's so mean to his kids. Oh, I love that whole movie, and he's so mean. To his he's kids. really mean to his kids. He yells at his kids when his daughter's just playing the piano. <sighs> he yells him. I do understand being so mad at your crappy house <laughs> that, you, <laughs> that you get mad at people who don't deserve <laughs> it. Like I do get that part. <laughs> yeah, that time that like 
third time he goes up and down the stairs and he's like, I could just light this place on fire. If I had if I had to identify a a mark that the TV show Mystery Science Theater 3000 has left on me and like my comedic sensibility, it is oh, sure. constant out of context references to the movie. It's a wonderful life. <laughs> Because routinely when I am trying to get Henry to eat something and he just wants to play with it, I will tell him, why don't you eat it instead of talking it to death? (laughs) (laughs) Hot dog. Hot dog. Um, So Harvey... The cat, that's kind, the of the, that's, that's kind of the end of the uh, the of the thing is they oh, decide really? well we can't we can't give good old Uncle Elwood this injection like we'll all and like half of us think that Harvey's secretly real anyway. What is? So. What, can I ask like what is? Is there any exploration of what the like the possibility of Harvey being real is like giving to people? Is it like making them more at peace with their own lives? Is that? discussed at all because if i was gonna like talk with an actor about how we're gonna make sense of this nonsense is gonna be like what is the idea of believing in harvey doing for you unless elwood's just that good i'm not sure i mean i think it it, it is mostly centered on on elwood and how friendly he thinks harvey is but harvey just seems like a really good a really nice guy to have around Mm, and he okay. can like do all that space and time bending, but that's not super important. Okay, it's just that Harvey's very supportive, and and you should you should want Harvey to be around. That's the uh, the say hello to Harvey like that the beginning of the clip with the woman talking about her coin purse or whatever. Yes, um, like the other big moment in the music in the uh, play where we're meant to believe that Harvey is real. Is that Harvey like hid that coin purse, thus like drawing out the conversation between uh, everybody and the cab driver, thus coming to this realization about humanity and how you can't give it injections, huh? Because you would you you don't want to lose that thing about Elwood, that like affability to to Elwood, and you're willing to put up with Harvey because. Elwood is such a nice guy. I guess that's that's the roundabout answer to your question. Is it, it yeah. is very focused on Elwood, who is an actual character who speaks, and you can see <laughs> <laughs> instead of Harvey, who is an invisible character who is implied. Sure, sure, and it, so it, it is this like connection which we've been talking about between like don't conform, don't change yourself to fit in. Um, and they make everybody chase. else see your point of view. Yes. Even if that <laughs> sure. point of view happens to include a six foot tall rabbit. Six six foot and what? Three six and, foot, three inches, three and one half inches. Yes, yes. I understand it's very important to get that correct. Now they never were they were very precise about that, but I never got whether that includes the, the ears. ears or not. I guess I assume it does, but he's I think he's scarier if it doesn't include the eight years. Apparently, Jimmy Stewart was like 6'4 or something, and he wanted mm-hmm. them to change the script so that Harvey would be 6'8, and they refused. <laughs> <laughs> so. Because it is, it's kind of a, like this, this rabbit is just tall enough that it's weird. Yeah. And so I can see why Jimmy Stewart would be like, can we, can we. Can we not have it be weird that this rabbit is exactly my height? Because that this is a height that people are sometimes. <laughs> Could we like, yeah, like 
this rabbit would be like fine on a basketball team. Could we make him actually worth being on a basketball team? That would be helpful to me. Is there um, a particular basketball team that a rabbit would be welcome on? I'm going to Google NBA teams because I don't okay. know all of them. Yeah. Um, the Lakers, the Raptors, probably not the Raptors. Probably not no. the Raptors. They'd probably eat him. Um, he might, well, Mary Chase with her, with her Irish heritage, he might fit on the Boston Celtics. Hmm, sure, um, yeah, he's a he's puka. A puka. I bet like half um, the people on that team got pukas anyway. Yeah, he might fit in on the Denver Nuggets, given Chase's background and where she was born and raised. Um, probably not the Pelicans, probably not the Grizzlies. Um, that's probably about it. I like th- those are good suggestions, though. I think he's I think he's going to play for the Denver Nuggets. Uh, is that what they're called? That's what I just said out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, or the Boston Celtics, I think. Yeah. 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 Um, so okay, so, and then how like, does it like end? End. What happens? That's that's the end. That's the end. Is the realizing that the coin purse has been like moved by Harvey? Let me make sure I'm actually not missing. Yeah, well, any- I mean, it, it ends with. Elwood like walking off stage talking to Harvey being like where have you been I've been looking all over for you hmm okay and that's the end are there any like B or C plots that are like worth mentioning I understand really like Sanderson it's kind of shaggy like it's Sanderson is kind of like flirting with some with a nurse uh, or something some assistant or or nurse in the sanitarium who is also kind of flirting with him but it doesn't get any kind of re- resolution they are just like clearly into each other and don't want to admit it like eh whatever okay um does chumley like change does chumley get his own harvey he doesn't know he doesn't get his harvey is harvey hmm. harvey gets Har- is everybody's harvey <laughs> You're, I, I don't know. You're, you're looking for. I'm just the wondering play what else ends. Yeah, no, no, no. no. The, yeah. the, the main thread is concerned with is Elwood's thread. So, yeah, that's okay. the deal. Sure. Um, the sanitarium is called Chumley's Rest. I want to make sure that we mention that. Ooh. Okay. Um, we kind of just like mentioned and left behind the like high functioning alcoholism is that kind of where the play leaves it he he does drink a lot and he suggests drinking a lot but um like the the any any inference on the audience's part that harvey is like some kind of result of a result of that drinking is done away with by the like winks that the play gives you about harvey actually Existing being being a real yeah. person who can manipulate objects on the physical plane. Sure. <laughs> yes, he does. Because the, the Isherwood review says the play's indulgent attitude to Ellswood Elwood's affection for alcohol strikes a radical note today. A similar character in a contemporary play would be depicted as pathological. Uh, I don't know. That seems strong, but at least it would probably bear a different, you know, type of attention. I think probably you wouldn't talk about the alcoholism quite as much. You would just make him a friendly kind of guy. Just kind of a sure. Dick Van Dyke sort of friendly everyman. 
Um, and the Tribune art of the Chicago Tribune review of their production discloses an imaginary rabbit can threaten a lot of people. Similarly threatening are those who made the decision, uh, like Elwood, to stop worrying about being thought of as smart and be content with the radical choice of just being really nice. Hmm. Yeah. Radical. Radical, dude. Tubular. <laughs> Uh, so did Charleston enjoy the piece? Did he read it with you? He, I mean, he obviously already knew it. Oh, sure. He sorry. Froze time to read every book that existed. <laughs> I forgot. I'm sorry. I knew this. Um, so yeah, Charleston thinks this is good. This he thinks it's like top fifty percent of all books. Of all books. Of all books that ever existed, yeah, like top fifty percent. Not not very high. It's the kind of thing where. Like if somebody tells you they're in the top fifteen, you know they're like fourteen. Yeah, like no sure. nobody tells you they're in the top fifteen when they're numbered two. <laughs> like they tell you they're in the top three, right? Yeah. Oh, totally. I think I graduated like seventeenth in my class. Which yeah, is so like, top twenty. Not bad, but like yeah. it's not, not top ten. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, Charleston likes it, and he thinks this was a fine episode of our podcast. If you are okay with tangents which because yeah. you're listening to podcasts i assume you are that's what they're all built on that's what we're mm-hmm. here for um if you thank you andrew for telling me about the play i'm glad that you're, you read it and had a good time you're well i did have a good time thank you for having me in charleston on the podcast anytime and every time my dude Uh, if you, the listener want to email us about Harvey, about Charleston, you can do so at overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up on social media, Twitter and facebook.com slash overdue pod. Thanks to Sam, Katie, Tasha, Tyler, Sabina, Graham, Kailston. (laughs) That was Charleston. (laughs) Excuse me. That one surprised me. It was a Twitter name that I don't know. Josh, Tom, Melody, Tina, many more. Um, thanks to Nick who composed our theme music. Andrew, if folks want to know more about that's Nick Larangis, excuse me. Uh, if folks want to know more about the show, Andrew, where should they go? They should go to overduepodcast.com. That's our internet website. Up there we have links to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, our RSS feed. We're also available on Spotify and Stitcher, anywhere else you can get podcasts. Uh if you want to support the show, that's patreon.com slash overduepod. Uh you can get bonus episodes early. You can join us on uh, live streamed YouTube recordings of some of those bonus episodes, which are always a lot of fun. Uh, we recently read the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, which is the Hunger Games prequel that the the episode should be releasing to y'all this week, this, right? Yeah, this Friday. It'll be on this the main Friday. feed. Yep. Uh, yeah, that was a good time. Um, I think we're going to be changing some of our tiers there in the next like month or so just to just to reflect that we are buried under too many listener recommendations and we feel really bad that there's like a two year lead time on those. We're going to be so sorry to whoever recommended Harvey to us in 2018, but here we got, we did it. We got, we got here. (laughs) We're going to try to be generous with, uh, with what we can and recognize that we do still just appreciate all y'all support. Uh, And as, as usual, like, patreon stuff will only ever be like time gated there's nothing we record for patreon that will not make it out to everybody else because we i mean that's always been the case even before we were in like a debilitating recession and we know we know that people don't have the means to support their favorite artists sometimes but that you know we're not going to take that out on you that's not your fault 
I love that you called us artists. We're artists. We are. Whenever artists. we do, a, we remember when we did live shows. I would, we would, I would call us the talent sometimes because we were the talent. You would say that. That's true. Mm-hmm. Live remember? shows, huh? Remember? Say hello <laughs> to Harvey. <laughs> Next week, I am going to be reading <laughs> "Roadside Picnic" by Boris and Arkady Strugatsky. It is the inspiration for the movie "Stalker," the accompanying video games and things so get ready for some cool niche chernobyl fiction uh, like a post-apocalyptic fiction um andrew we're gonna i don't know why i specifically invoked you we're gonna post the rest of the september schedule soon and then get ready we've also got most of a schedule for spooktober get ready for october also known as spooktober we're gonna put that schedule out soon too our sixth or seventh annual spooktober we've been doing this podcast forever it's haunting Uh, time get us out of here unless charleston wants to take us out no, Char- Charleston just is shaking his head at this point. <laughs> uh, thank you, everybody, for listening and for bearing with us. Until we talk to you next week, please try to be happy. Say hello to Harvey. Everyone loves Harvey. Because Harvey's as lovely as can be. Sit and talk with Harvey. Take a walk with Harvey. See things you never thought you'd see. Give it a try. He can change your future any way to suit you. Believe me, I really know it's all. Simply go to Harvey. Say hello to Harvey. And Harvey will win your That was a HeadGum Podcast.